Yippity-doo-dah, yippity-day. It's number 123 and we're on our way. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Did, you. did you just think of that? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Welcome to podcast 123. I'm Everywhere. Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. Who are you? I'm Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. And I'm Farmer Phil from the Lower Bethany <laughs> Well, it is great to be back. I've missed this sitting on this sofa with you, Rich. Yeah, it is. I have as well, really. It's a part of our, it's part of our life that we've, we've been sadly lacking over the last few weeks. Totally. And I suppose we've missed having Farmer Phil, but he seems to be no, quite a I'm long really. way away today. <laughs> Probably a good thing you can't smell me from there. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I see your trousers suitably adorned with a nice... I've been in the maternity unit again this morning. Mm. What is that on your right kneecap, Phil? Much the same as that which is on my left kneecap. <laughs> Could you describe it in a little more detail? Well, let's just say that I was on my knees relieving a cow of her calf earlier on in the cattle yard. Excellent. And the cattle yard has all the natural ingredients that are sort of wet, vaguely smelly and, and what have you, lying around on the floor. Yesterday he went out and came back in and said, well, you, you, tell, you tell the dear listener. Hello, listener. Listen to Farmer Phil telling the story of what he met yesterday morning in the cow shed. As usual, first thing in the morning, I pop out to the cow shed just to check that all is well. And on my way across the yard, I became aware of a calf bleating loudly and a cow... Lambs bleat? Do calves bleat? Well, calves bleat. bleat. Similar sort of noise, but anyway. Thank you. And it didn't sound entirely happy. And so I go through the door to find cow lying in the yard shouting and calf, half out of the cow, sat perfectly on his knees, (laughs) shouting, as if to say, come on, I want the rest of me out of here, I can't move. And so we duly obliged, and cow and calf doing very well. But it was quite funny, the look on the calf's face, as if to say, where the hell have you been? (laughs) Fantastic. Anyway, this week we've got lots coming up. We've got Karen, who's going to do her first ever Wiggly interview, and she is going to interview... Mrs. Average, who I don't think is average at all, actually. No. Mrs. Average is secretly Karen Kennard, and she has been on Radio 4 all week talking about how to reduce the rubbish that she's producing from her household. And it's been fascinating to see somebody take their rubbish and reduce it to virtually nil. Well, we're here. Maybe, oh, I mustn't give the game away. But anyway, Karen is doing her first Wiggly interview this very day. That flipping, flipping noise is Farmer Phil, who is flipping through the new Wiggly catalogue, looking up Richard's fascinating fish page, Fishborn's fish page, which apparently has brought a tear to some people's eyes. <laughs> Why, so I just told Phil, my mother-in-law rang me up the other day, and she had a, a sneak preview at the catalogue, and she said, ooh, love, I love your little article in the catalogue. You're so clever, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said, oh, thank you, Mary. Yeah, that's nice of you to say that. Thanks very much. That's great. My mum rings me up and she says, oh, you've got a staff discount, haven't you? Can you get me this? <laughs> <laughs> can you get me that as well, please? And, oh, yeah, yeah, OK, yeah, fine, I, I can do that. And my response to your article, Rich? Oh, you, you, you know it, Phil. You love it, really. I think, you know... Well, I looked at the pictures and noticed that all. at least half of them were pictures <laughs> of, of a young frugal fishborn and a group of fish taken from a, in inverted commas, private water. 
I'm <laughs> <laughs> thinking, yes. Um, um, just an off-air moment, Richard, the, the uh, discounts for your own use only. Yes, that's right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, also coming up, we've got the wheat story. Pigs and wheat. Oh, gosh. There's a lot of problem in the pig and wheat world. And it's caused by wheat farmers, apparently. Gluttonous wheat farmers yeah. raking in the profits. Yeah. And over there is a particularly affluent-looking model <laughs> <laughs> who actually has ordered a new truck. So it's, it's not oh, without... Oh, yes, didn't tell me that, did he? It's not without yeah, um, no, truth behind it. But we'll hear about that. that. We'll also find out how Mother's Day went this year for Wiggly Wigglers because, whoo, busiest time of the possible, possible year for Bouquet. So yeah, we'll find out how that went. And, oh, I think we've run out by then, do you think? I think we probably will. So favourite product in the catalogue, Hev? What do you reckon? What's your favourite catalogue? Easy. Favourite catalogue, favourite product. Absolutely easy. Right. These have changed my life. I know I've gone on about them the whole time, but they are so cool. Those goat socks are to die for. Yeah. Why are they so nice? Because... They, they're just really soft. Well, I always have cold feet. Always cold hands feel. Okay. Cold hands, warm heart. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Cold hands and cold feet. And the day I went up to this farm, I had particularly cold feet because it's on the middle of the Black Mountains and it absolutely freezes your nuts off. (laughs) 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 Should you have any? I hate, hate being cold. Ever since I used to go out land draining with my father and be in the bottom of the trench, putting the icy junctions in, I've just hated being cold. And so I put these socks on and she, she did a beautiful sales patter on me. I'd seen the the goats in the shed, all furry and woolly and hairy and gorgeous. And I put them on, didn't I, Phil, on the way down the hill. And my feet became warm. And usually I go home and have a bath if I've got cold because there's just no way it's going to warm up. And they warmed up. And so I've not taken them off since then, except today I've got particularly sexy tights on. You are, yes, you're looking rather fine today. (laughs) Got, and my got red the full, shoes. The full the Nora shoes. Batty equipment on today. <laughs> <clears throat> Picture the scene. Listener, I am in my ball gown with the full regalia and sat by these Egypts. No, I've got my, my dr- grey tights on with my red shoes today, but normally I've worn my goat socks ever since. I've now yeah. got three pairs. You don't have to wash them very often, which I also like. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah you've got an, an option. So you've got... Com- am I... So- doing the sales talk too much oh uh, i don't know but oh, the thing is it doesn't matter because i love them it's worth waxing lyrical that way like. and they don't they don't make your feet smell and you can have comfort so you can have a double thickness on if you've got your boots on uh-huh. and then there's this other one that's a single thickness if you've got your shoes on and they're just fantastic and i haven't had cold feet since so i'm sorry but you know they're 10 pounds and uh, they're available in two sizes and you've got to have some that's yep. it. Fantastic. That's my sales talk for the year. <laughs> what about you, Phil? What's your well, favourite product? I've actually picked... There's two things I like in the catalogue, and mm. neither of them are product. Typical. But as you so know... I go for the sales, but no... Uh, you can have a product in a minute. No, no, we'll have the proper sales. Uh, as you know, I like a good photo. And you, Richard, framed one for me in the past, and I've got several of Mark's on the wall, and I like a good photo. And in the catalogue, there are two photos that I just think are fabulous. And one is the... One on the Digit page, which is page 19, which I think is the most wonderful photo, mm. mostly because of the light. 
And Michael's other... nodding with thanks, but um, I must say that he deserves no credit for it because he insisted that it was not appropriate to go on that page <laughs> and that he'd got no photos that are worth it and it wasn't worth anything. We put it on that page and it is one of the best photos that I've... Well, whether, it just evokes the feeling. Whether he, whether he achieved it entirely by accident, in which case he's very naturally talented, or whether you achieved it, either way, I think it's fantastic. I think and it's down other, to me. The other photo that I think is absolutely stunning, and you don't realise how stunning it is until you look at it, partly is that I'm in it, but that's not the point, is the Wiglet photo. If you look at the trees in the background, it is like a cathedral. And it is absolutely stunning. And the more you look at it, the better it gets. That's another is, Michael is a, photo. That is a really good photograph, actually. Yeah. So that, those were my two favourite things. But in terms, as you know, I like gadgets. Yeah. And I really like the Power Monkey, because I just like the principle of it. Yeah, a solution yeah. to all those stupid little problems with batteries and phones and iPods and all the rest of it. What is it, then? Because I can't work it out. What it is, is a little battery pack which you can either charge with a solar panel, great, so you don't need to be near the power thing, and then you can plug it in to run whatever gadget, phone, iPod, or whatever, or you can plug it into the mains and charge it up. So it's like an auxiliary battery pack. It's another it's gadget, charger. you mean? It is another gadget, but Because it... the, here is a mystery. I'm sorry to go off on a diversion, but here is a mystery. Coming up to Christmas, Farmer Phil said to his wife, Dear wife, what would you like for Christmas? And I said, I would like you to solve a problem for me. I don't want a gift, I want a problem solved. And he said, ah, no problem, that's brilliant. What's the problem? And I said, I would like to be able to go through the house listening to whatever it is I'm listening to, podcast, radio 4, whatever it is, through the house from room to room and still be able to listen to the same thing. And he said, I can do that. I shall liaise with Michael. And so I had imagined that there would be this item that would make a, some sort of air system mean that when I move from room to room on different things, there would be the podcast. And do you know what he gave me? No. He gave me some speakers with the battery in them. <laughs> But then I had to take from room to room. Only like a ghetto blast on his shoulder. She <laughs> has no appreciation of the quality of that piece of equipment, <laughs> does she? I mean, you know. That is top of the range, all singing, all dancing, technology in a box, which allows her to take her podcast, whatever, to the bathroom, <laughs> wherever, out yep. into the garden. I... Ungrateful mare that she is, <laughs> she now declares that that is not a suitable item. No, Because I... she can't remember how to start the car, let alone remember to take the flaming battery pack so <clears> she can <throat> listen to it. I rest my case. It is just no, beyond me. No, I am grateful for it, but it wasn't the solution that I'd imagined. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> There's a new podcast being launched, and it's by Matthew Naylor. He's a complete star. He writes in the Farmers Weekly, and it's called Pure Tills. We're going to have him on the show, and I'm sure it will be a bit of entertainment. I have noticed that his co-presenter, Mr Tim Teague, who we also know, who farms up in Shropshire has been doing a bit of modelling work, as far as I can see, because I saw his marvellous features on an advert, I ask you, in the Farmer's Weekly. Advert oh. for what? For the Farmer's Weekly Awards. There we are. OK, so let's have a think about pigs, because last week we heard about our pigs, 
and we tasted our pigs on air, mm. and we're still eating our delicious pork and bacon. Yeah. Oh, and we've now swapped some of our pork for Alison's Swart Bless chops. Yeah, and they were tasty, though, weren't they? They were very tasty. Mm. They very were tasty. just a jolly job. And you they? didn't like lamb much, did you? No. So. Well, I pulled them out of the freezer thinking they were pork. Okay. And it was only after a while I thought, gosh. They're not very big. She'd actually cooked three of them, Rich, and I came into the kitchen and I said, oh, they look like some nice lamb chops, they'll be nice, and she said, I thought they were pork. Sorry. And so with that, we ate some delicious Wartblaze lamb chops yes. yeah. and then Heather set fire to the cooker. Ah, oh gosh, I did. Monty came in, yeah. we were having our cup of tea and he said, fire, fire! <laughs> And my God, it was a fire. Really? There was flames coming at the back of the cooker, right. about a foot high, right. and we pulled out the grill. Oh, Rich, we had to get the fire blanket and everything. It was like <laughs> World War Three, <laughs> And it took the... Yeah, we couldn't say. touch the grill for two and a half hours. There was flames. Oh, really? Yeah. So the chances are a bit of, you had a bit of fat build-up. <laughs> I think that the uh, root cause of the problem, Rich, was, was that pocket. somebody I know had not switched the grill off having mm. retrieved the... Uh, oh, yes, yeah. no, I left it on yeah. full. Yeah. yeah, it's funny how fat gets to a certain temperature <laughs> and then suddenly decides to combust. Outrageous. One or two soot issues in the kitchen and there has been a fairly intensive cleansing operation to rectify the situation. <laughs> anyway, there's a campaign going on called Save Our Bacon and mm. I've been talking to several pig farmers intensive and otherwise about the issues that pig farmers are currently facing and we'll ask farmer phil what he thinks tell us about the issues that pig farmers are currently facing farmer phil well pig farmers are are facing issues which are not uncommon in agriculture that they are competing with imports which to them are cheap they're having to deal with their input prices i.e pig food wheat mostly which have doubled more than in some cases at the other end so that they have been squeezed inexorably and particularly for those who are producing commodity pig if you like they've got no usp particularly unique selling point to rack the price up to the customer so that if the imports of for example danish bacon are at a price that is the price that they have to compete with that there is no differentiation but bearing in mind that there's, you know, there's plenty of intensive pig farmers in Britain and there's plenty of intensive pig farmers in Denmark, the Danish pig farmers are more efficient. That is the bottom line. They're getting more porkers from their pigs and well, they're fattening them quicker and they're more efficient. Well, it's because the problem is because their efficiency is, is based on the, the fact that it's a kind of animal welfare issue, isn't it? They don't have the strict uh, they do. st- stipulations that the British farmers Denmark have Denmark does have the same welfare Den- Denmark would have very much the strict stipulations. It's really whether you or I as the consumer would actually prefer to eat our pork from such fattening units. Right. And I think the, the, it comes back to, and it keeps coming back to, this idea that we, I think it's, we now spend about 12% of our income on food, where in the past it was 20%. And this valuing our food, it is that difference, which is the difference between whether we actually make a choice as to where it's come from. And it's not, it's not right or wrong, it's, it's your preference. But to be absolutely frank about this, Phil, frank, um, <laughs> does it really matter if we buy our pork in England or whether we buy our pork in Denmark 
because the actual shipping of that pork is relatively unimportant in the overall scheme of things. You know, it's not like we're air freighting it in from Kenya. They're more efficient at their production. And there's no one sitting around this gay electric set in the, in the uh, city room saying that we are talking about free-range pork. There's exactly the same situation for the pigs in the UK as there is for the pigs in Denmark. Both places generally are producing, even if they're producing pigs that are outside, they're fattening their piglets inside and those piglets don't see the light of day. That's the fact of the matter. It's a well-made point. And the reason why I think that we should, and there are provisos in my mind to this, but the reason why I think we should buy our food from Britain, if we can, is because then we have an effect on the way that our countryside looks. So that, all right, the pigs are fattened in a shed and they don't go out. But what they eat is grown outside in the fields that we look at and we walk in and our wildlife lives in. So that... Those production methods are related to how the countryside looks and it's important. Now, we're not going to control what happens in Denmark by our buying habits. We can control them in this country. There's also the human aspect. If you put all the pig farmers out of production, you've got a load of depressed pig farmers lurking around the countryside, not looking after their bit. Yeah. And it's really a case of pig farming is notoriously... It volatile. has huge volatile is the word I'm looking for, that's right. So that they have huge fluctuations in their fortunes. And the ones who succeed are by and large the ones who can deal with the troughs in <laughs> the best way. Troughs. Oh, very good, very good. And you know, one or two of the pig farmers I've talked to that they're thinking of innovative ways in feeding their pigs, reducing their costs, and on the other hand they're thinking of innovative ways in adding value to their product. And I think that's how it should be. But it should not be forgotten that in the past, some of these pig farmers, and the reason that they built these intensive fattening houses is because they've made a lot of money. They have lost a shed load of money at times as well. In fact, one I was speaking to was losing £6,000 every single day. You see, this is something I don't quite understand. It's funny because I've been talking to all sorts of people associated with pig farming. I I spoke to a a bank manager who was was saying that he thinks things might improve in in, in the world of pig farming Mm. because because the euro is so strong and there's a a relative shortage of product in England. Some of the manufacturers that make pork products are having to source their pigs and pay more from, uh, from from English producers. I spoke to a pig farmer last night who seemed to think that things were on the up. There's a real issue with cost of, of food, fodder for, for pigs, which is why all those pig farmers march down to Westminster. But there's a, there's a, the point here is I'm always really puzzled when farmers say they're losing thousands of pounds every year. Because how can you afford... I couldn't, as a working person, how could I come to work and say, I've lost 10 grand this year? How could I afford to live if that was the case? So I'm utterly puzzled by that expression. So if you said to me, Phil, you're losing 10 grand a year because you keep a suckling herd, which is what lots of farmers, beef, beef farmers say, they're losing money. Well, he's losing loads more than that. Well, how do you, so what do you mean by losing money? I mean, are you losing <laughs> some of what you might make? Or essentially, no. the, the basic structure of our farm, so that you haven't got the value of the land, which is the first thing, but you have the value of the machinery, the livestock and the crops at the state at the point of the end of year. So your business has a value. So that when I lose money, that value goes down. Now, I might have an overdraft to smooth the cash flow out, but essentially 
you know, I, I have lost as much as 60, 70, 80,000 quid on the year. Now, now let's just clarify that. <coughs> I still understand it. I can help with that right. because being a small business person, I understand this completely. Okay, great. What it means is that what you've sold compared to what you, you've cost yeah. has cost £60,000 a year more. Right. And not only that, when you look at it and you wake up in the morning, you've actually worked for nothing. Right. So most farmers are not taking a <coughs> salary from their business. Right. They're taking their drawings after they've either gained or they've lost. Oh, okay. So at the end of the year, with any small business, say you've sold £100,000 and it's cost you £150,000 to do it, which is perfectly possible, mm-hmm. not only have you lost £50,000, but you've also not paid yourself a single penny. So that's the way of the world. But on the other hand, before you think, oh, poor, poor old farmer, on the year that the farmer does really well, it's perfectly possible that he could make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds. In fact, I spoke to somebody who has lost money for the last five years, but because of the wheat prices this year, they're going to make 700,000 pounds. Right, So if you can stand it, and if you cannot get yourself in a complete pickle, and if you can have the good years seeing you through the bad years, yeah. then you can be okay. But it's much, much longer term it's a longer than most term, businesses. A much longer term thing than your annual salary. And a, a good friend of ours, Ian Howey, has a, a very favourite comment. He says that a politician's working life is by and large less than the length of an agricultural rotation. So by that he means that an agricultural rotation might be four, five, six, seven, eight years, eight yeah. seasons, and a politician will only think short term. And the point with farming is that you have to look at the trends and the long term if you possibly can. And that's where the conflict between farming and politics, which so closely governs our profitability, fails because the politicians never look that far because there's no point to them. Anyway, it's all your fault, Mr. Wheat. Mr. Wheat over see, there. Well, that's the thing, an interesting I mean, if there, thing. If there was more cohesion between farmers, more cooperation between farmers, you know, that, that, that kind, of, kind of warmth and sharing that, that, that people in the same industry... It's, sim- it's more should, basic should than that. Why, why is it that farmers, pig farmers, for instance, are going out of business because of food prices are so high, and yet arable farmers milking the opportunity <laughs> to sell it's nothing to do. It's nothing to do with prices. milking the opportunity... That these are commodity prices, and commodity prices are driven by the availability of yeah. the commodity. Yes. Now, World actually, the mm. reason that wheat has gone up is a combination of climate, so that Australia are in their seventh year of drought, I think, yeah. and America have had a bad harvest, and they are also a factor of growing biofuels, right. mostly in America, yeah. and increased consumption, mostly by China. But that is the reason that wheat prices have gone up. It's not because I say I fancy a holiday or I fancy a new truck. No. Now, your idea about... Even though you are buying one. Even though I'm buying one, but that's because I've worn out the other one. But the point is... (laughs) It looks all right to me. The point is, well, that's a good... You were on about um, how farmers lose money. I can borrow against my machinery. So I don't replace the truck. So I'm borrowing against it. It gets older. It gets worth less money. And that's what finances my losses. When I start to make a profit, I can keep my money in my cows, my machinery, my sheds or whatever. So that's how the business works. And I can borrow against the fertiliser level in the field, so the potash level in my soil. I don't put potash on for two years. I'm borrowing against the soil. Saves me money. It's a loss on my account. 
that's how farmers do it and that's why it's quite difficult to, to balance how you do it. You mentioned cooperation between farmers. Actually think about what you said and the farmers that survive best are the mixed farmers. So you have a pig enterprise and you feed it with an arable enterprise yeah, on definitely. the same farm. Yeah. The wheat price, it has an opportunity cost, but it only costs you what it costs you to grow it. You feed it into the pig enterprise, the job works, you have an opportunity cost, but you're surviving, it's fine. If you just grow wheat, with prices like they are today, great. Tax bill to die for. Pig boys, other livestock people, suffering like hell. And the point is that it is the farmers who have several enterprises that win because just now the pig job will be good, wheat won't be so good, dairying has come up recently, sheep and beef, you know, a bit iffy. These things will move around according to supply and demand. That's why Farmer Phil's never happy because either his cattle are doing well and his wheat's not or his wheat's doing well and his cattle aren't. Mm. <laughs> Mm. Or maybe that's why he's always happy. But it, it ensures you against total disaster, except for a few years ago, for the first time in living memory, everything went down. Right. So that everything was on the floor. Now, that's the first time that has happened since the depression between the two wars in the 30s. And they didn't like it much then, and we didn't like it much now. But now we've got one or two things coming up, and you will see, you've seen prices go up in the supermarkets, you've seen profiteering going on in that department, and similarly, there's profiteering going on with the people selling us our inputs. Now, we're just a minute, I can't up. let you just accuse other people of being profiteering, because if they were sat on this sofa, they'd be saying exactly the same thing. So I'm wiping you off at that point. <laughs> You've made your point for the last flipping 20 minutes. <laughs> on that note, what I would say is that we'll come back to wheat because we haven't grilled him enough. We haven't actually rolled his oats. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't ground him down. Right. Um, but anyway, I think that if you're in any doubt about what all this means, go away, and I've done this to my father-in-law, and read The Omnivore's Dilemma, because it really does put things in perspective, and you, Rich, would really, I think, enjoy to read that. Yeah, yeah and I'd like um, to read that. Now, moving I on. Just before we move on, I oh. also think that any listeners who've got any questions, so that Rich has brought up some questions because he's not a farmer... Any listeners who have questions, email us, ask us the questions. He's not brought up questions because he's not a farmer. He's brought up questions because we're all consumers. Onward, the Mother's Day report. <laughs> Look, at are. Are, Look at his face. Look at his face. Give out the email address. Oh. Phil's, possibly, for farming questions. Well, any of us. If you want to comment, email pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk and he will be delighted to bring those comments to the podcast and we will be delighted to represent your views. As long as they're the same as ours. <laughs> Only joking. <laughs> Maybe if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, if you've enjoyed this one, go to iTunes and we'd love a review on there. Mm. And other than that, we're going to talk about Mother's Day and then we're going to go and see what Mrs Average has been up to. Mother's Day. Now that was, a, I'll tell you what, that was poetry in motion, you know. A few weeks ago, I was working down in Hampshire, and it was over Valentine's Day, and I came back here later on in the evening to swap the van for the car, and I could see a couple of them were busily making beautiful bouquets in the sheds late at night. But Mother's Day was a whole different world of busyness. You go into that shed, what was the shed? What is the shop? <laughs> what was dispatch? And there's a whole plethora of 
beautiful women making gorgeous bouquets. I thought it was great. It was like I go in there and just you know flirt a little bit and compliment everybody <laughs> on what they're doing. Steady. And uh, and, uh, and and just to kind of pop back up. Rach made me a lovely bouquet. You know, so you see, there's a, there was a few little offcuts, and she said, "Here you go, Rich. Take this home." And she blushed as she gave it to me. I thought, so yeah. so sweet, so sweet. But those bouquets. How many? There was something like five hundred bouquets made in the course of a week. Yes, we got to. I think it was six hundred and twenty-four bouquets. Right. And one would imagine a production line from yeah. that, wouldn't you? Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't. It was the most beautiful smell I was, I've I ever known when you walked in the room. The smell was phenomenal. Yeah, and there was. was these. Well, there was these beautiful women all hand tying these bouquets and putting the raffia together and and going. It was a veritable hive. And eating chocolate. They had so many packets of Quality Street. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they went <That's> home. Right. <laughs> in fact, for The Guardian this week, we've had to do how much waste we're producing in the office and what we're doing with it. Yeah. And, you know, I said that we shed the paper and we've got a problem with the labels and we put our banana skins in the Bukashi bin. Yeah. And apart from that, there's not really that That's big a deal. Waste, yeah. But that week... Quality street wrappings, what do you do with them? Right. There was masses of them. Anyway, 624 bouquets went out, and uh, I don't think there was any problems with them, and well done to the whole team. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was poetry in motion. Fantastic. They're such beautiful bouquets, because I thought, well, I'll have to send Mum one, because, of course, she'd seen the bouquet that I sent Sarah for Valentine's Day, So and because she's so hard done by, you know, and uh, no one loves her and stuff like that, I thought, well, is this, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, even though I did go fishing on Mother's Day rather than go for lunch. <laughs> well, I thought the bouquet was uh, a step in the right direction, mm. but she she thought it was the most beautiful thing. Mm. Fantastic. And did they, you use they your... last well as well, don't they? I mean, I know we've, this, this is something we've talked about before with Amy a while ago about the fact that really a, a bouquet is all about a wow factor, you know, it's something you have and there's a, there's a moment in time where you're completely enamoured by what you've received. So lasting, I think, in, in many respects, isn't integral to the whole experience, but they do last and there's, you know, there's little instructions now, aren't there, with the, with the bouquet that uh, give people an indication of what they need to put in their water to make the bouquet oh, white longer. lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a secret yeah, lemonade drinker. I was going to I'm say that advert is a bit old. Just can't make But it was on it, it did that. It featured, yeah, it was a retro advert, wasn't it? Really oh, nice. fantastic. Anyway, you need lemonade. So and did you use gorgeous. your weekly vouchers to pay for the bouquet? No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, possibly they <laughs> contributed it. to it. Yeah. Listen, let's go and listen to Karen, who's been talking to Karen. Oh, look, Karen's been talking to Karen mm. about her waste and how to reduce it. And if you want to know more about this, do the old iPlayer thing or <laughs> podcast on Woman's Hour on Radio 4 because she's been on all week. If you put in Wiggly into Google, you'll find that the podcast of me on Women's Hour comes up. Don't listen to it. It's years ago. Very embarrassing. But I did enjoy going to do Women's Hour. Have a listen now to Karen with her first ever Wiggly interview. I'd like to welcome to the show this week a woman on a mission. She's called Karen Cannard and is a wife and a mum of two who lives in Bury St Edmunds. Karen's local council challenged their residents to take part in Zero Waste Week. And welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you. That's okay. And 
if you'd like to tell us all a bit about what Zero Waste Week actually means and how it's affected you, what made you decide to join in? Well, I decided to join up because one of my New Year's resolutions was that I wanted just to look at sorting out the amount of waste that our family throws away. It was getting ridiculous and I suppose Christmas time really put it on its head because at Christmas there is so much that as a consumer you feel you need to buy. We tried to cut down what we bought at Christmas but we still had loads of packaging. So I just thought, okay, get into the new year and and solve it. The Zero Waste Initiative came up from our local council and I thought, actually, that's the helping hand that I need. So I just signed up straight away. Yeah, excellent. I understand that you always considered yourself to be quite good at recycling anyway. I mean, I just wondered what areas that you felt you could improve on. Well, I suppose the key problem for us was the amount of food that we were throwing away as our family because we have a family of four um, with my husband and two little boys. And, you know, four people living in a household who've got different tastes, so we'd find that virtually every meal we'd have stuff that was going off to waste, you know, things that you'd leave on a plate. So we just decided that, okay, perhaps we ought to look at the different things that we buy for cooking and different ways of cooking and also what did we need to do with the food waste at the end of it and that was the the key thing so because of that I had a look and I found that there was the wormery system which could accept things like pasta and that seemed to be the obvious way to go which which helped slim the bin down um, greatly. Yeah, I understand you've been educating your children as well. (laughs) They've been having a look at worms, realising what kind of things they take. But also the other thing that we've been doing is trying to concentrate on not actually creating that food waste in the first place. So actually, as well as educating them, they've been educating me. They've been saying, well, mummy, if you stop actually making one thing, you know, the kind of thing that we don't like, and make us something else, then that's probably a good way of going forward. And it actually did make sense. Quite. You've had to change your shopping habits, presumably, to fit in with your new lifestyle. Yes. Even though I still go to the supermarket, I'm very, very choosy now about the kind of things I buy. Um, Look at all of the packaging and make sure that it can either be recycled or can be composted. But one of the other things that I've started to do now is actually move outside of the uh, supermarket and actually go to independent shops as as well as the market stores that you find you know every couple of days in Berry and it's actually been so very enlightening and that has actually also helped to cut down the amount of waste that we've been sending to landfill. Yeah and I understand you've also influenced people to perhaps change their habits so I think it was the butcher that you mentioned had changed to using greaseproof paper and need to wrap yes. the meat in. Yes that's right um, and also the, um, the, there was a cheese store basically the story with that is that he'd already got I think an 11 year old girl right. who told him that actually daddy it would be better if you used paper bags that's great. than plastic carrier bags and when I actually spoke to him as well and I could see him just wrapping the cheese up in cling film I said you couldn't actually do me a favour and just try and find something else yeah. <laughs> and he had a roll of greaseproof paper there as well so he basically offered that to me and you know that's great because you can just wash it and you can put it in the compost bin yeah that's great yeah so overall how do you think the rubbish diet has changed your life it's been amazing. The enormous sort of interest in it, I think, has probably been the most significant factor because so many people, when they found out what I was doing with the rubbish diet, they actually emailed me lots of hints and tips. And that's really how it's all worked. Getting the hints and tips 
from all of those people out there who've got these sort of secrets but are, are not easily shared. And what it means now is I've gone from a household which creates around about three big 50-litre bags of waste every two weeks to almost nothing. And from a personal perspective, living in a household where you've got lots of other things to do and you have to balance and juggle children and work as well, the whole waste issue is something that's not hard to deal with anymore and we're no longer having arguments about whose turn it is to put out the bin. That's great and I mean coming to the end of your waste week what have you got in your bin? Right um, what I've got in the bin at the moment is one plaster. Excellent. But we've got a bit of a risky situation coming up today. Oh dear. <laughs> because there are two butter wrappers that need to be washed out mm. and if I can't find any other use for those they're going to have to go into the bin. Oh, that's not bad, though, is it? One plaster and possibly two butter wrappers. No. <laughs> Excellent. Well brilliant. done. <laughs> so um, if we could have a top tip for reducing the amount of waste that goes to landfill, what would yours be? Mine would be every family is different, certainly not dictatorial over this. And what's worked for us as a family is to just cut down on the food waste. Yeah. I think what you've got to do is actually look at your own situation. Look at what is in your bin and look at the easiest thing that you can change that's going to have the the least impact on hassle factor but the most impact on your lifestyle. That's a good tip. Thank you. And you've got a great blog called The Rubbish Diet. Do you want to just tell us where it is? Yes, it's at www dot the rubbish diet dot co dot uk that's great well thanks ever so much for speaking to me i mean you're a very busy lady you've been on the radio every day this week on woman's hour which is a tremendous achievement and i appreciate you taking some time to have a chat to me and we look forward to hearing how things move on for you so keep in touch with us excellent thanks karen thank All right, you thank you thank you for that karen and if you'd like to comment on that or anything else for that matter the Wiggly blog is looked after by Karen and you can find it at wigglywigglers.blogspot.com. Time for a quick thought for the week from Monty. MontyCast, a weekly fact on farming. Gelatine made from bones and horns from cattle is used in making candies, marshmallows, ice cream and photographic film. Another MontyCast a weekly fact on farming next week. Thank you, Monty. We'll wrap up now, but next week we've got Rachel Harris coming in. Yep. Rachel was a student, wasn't she? She spent a month with us. I know we talked a little bit about her before. But she's going to come and talk about her findings at Wiggly Wiggler's Environmental Impacts. Brilliant, because Farmer Phil's got a seriously bad chip on his shoulder about carbon footprinting. Farmer Phil's got lots of issues. <laughs> Farmer Phil needs a haircut. He needs something. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the time of year because Farmer Phil has most issues about now in the year. They seem to build up over the winter. It's probably in direct direct proportion to when my subsidy cheque arrives. Ah. Quite possibly. Mm. Which I'm pleased to tell you it hasn't. It hasn't. Uh, (laughs) It never has. No. Spring issues from Farmer Phil. Tune in to be cheered up by Farmer Phil. (laughs) Bye for now. Bye from me. It's bye from me.
What number is it? 123. Yippity doo da, day. It's number 123, and we're on our way. <laughs> That was great. Thank you. Did, you. did you just think of that? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to podcast one, two, three. And it's... No, hello. you're supposed to say four. Oh, am I? Okay. Four, five. One, two, three. Oh, so... <laughs> Oh, so have you not taken your medication again? That's <laughs> why Michael is already sticking his fingers into his eyes. All sense of reason is. Listen, I'm Heather away. from Weekly Wigglers. Who are you? Thanks, Monty. And we'll wrap up for this week because we are wrapped up. What's coming next week, Hev? Who knows? That's not the answer I wanted. <laughs> next <laughs> week we've got Rachel Harry's. Is that how you say it? <laughs> What's going next week? I don't know.